Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, as always, and we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. So today's guest is the quality editor at Bleacher Report, contributor to B-Ball Breakdown, Fan Sided, Step Back, NBA Assets, a whole bunch of places, and one part of the NBA pod. It's Brian Toporak. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Josh. So... We were talking about uh, your piece. You wrote a piece on DeAndre Jordan for B-Ball Breakdown mm-hmm. and uh, the Clippers as well a bit as a whole, but focusing around DeAndre mostly. Uh, it's called The Clippers' Future Relies on Yesterday's Center, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, yep. First off, really great read. Enjoy it. Highly recommend anyone listening to this go read it right now if you missed it. So my first things first. Why write about the Clippers and specifically DeAndre Jordan? It there, it's not uh, it's not a topic that a lot of people seem to be uh, super interested in. <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, you know, I find myself really drawn toward the team building aspect of the NBA in general, um, and then particularly with this upcoming free agent class. Like we we know LeBron James and Paul George are going to get max deals somewhere. We don't know where they're going to end up, but we know what they're going to receive. We know Chris Paul's probably going to get a max deal and stay with the Rockets, probably not for five years, but maybe for three. So I'm interested in that like next tier of guys where, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is probably in there now in the wake of the Achilles injury, but like guys like Jordan or Isaiah Thomas, who a year or two ago we probably would have considered like no-brainer max guys. But now we're starting to see... You know, you look at Kyle Lowry last summer or Paul Millsap last summer, who I, you know, I think they're also guys who a year or two ago we would have considered like, yeah, sure, you're going to max them out for four years. But as we saw last summer, the freewheeling spending spree of 2016 led teams to be a little bit more uh, fiscally restrained or, yeah, fiscally prudent, I would say, um, last summer. And I think that this summer, especially, uh, a couple people, including myself, have already written about this, but you know, cap space is going to be very limited this summer, mm-hmm. and the teams that have cap space aren't there. Aren't many that need a center, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how DeAndre Jordan's free agency plays out. And I kind of wanted to dive into that now, especially in the wake of the trade deadline, where he was floated around as a potential option to be moved to the Cavaliers in particular. It sounds like the Cavs thought they were actually pretty close to a deal and then ended up going a different direction. Um, Jordan afterward, you know, I think Dan Feldman of NBC Sports straight up asked him, like, do you feel like you're wanted here? And Jordan was like, "Uh, I don't know. Do you think I'm wanted here? (laughs) Feldman was like, "I, I don't know. So... Yeah, I think it's good. I just, I think I'm fascinated by what's going to happen with him, and I wanted to get something out in advance to kind of get people talking about that. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting topic in terms of uh, the future. Um, so, like, even when you're talking about the potential trade to the Cavs that almost happened, Brian Windhorst said it was really close, kind of fell apart late. Uh, it, you know, one of the other trades potential trades that could have happened where actually the Raptors were looking at it as well um mm-hmm. potentially moving Valanciunas uh and I wasn't uh as a Raptors fan wasn't a big uh, proponent of that basically because of uh, his archaic style of play 
Um, mm-hmm. And Valanchunas is someone who has, you know, he was in the same boat not long ago, and a lot of people said, where does he fit in the NBA? Uh, the way he plays nowadays, he's a low post player, you know, can't stretch the floor, what's going on, and slowly but surely he's found a way, uh, also in part thanks to the Raptors switching up their style of offense, to improving his own game. But DeAndre Jordan doesn't seem to have that ability, or at least we haven't seen it. Um, everything he does is like a dunk or within like, three feet of the hoop. And, you know, his his even his defensive play this year, of course, his team has been, uh, you know, up and down and not as good as in years past. But even his defensive play hasn't been quite as spectacular as in years past. So <clears throat> where do you think his value lies in today's NBA with, um, you know, what, what could other teams see in him that they would really want to go after him for? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's what a lot of teams are going to be asking themselves this summer. Because, as you said, Valanciunas was in a similar position, but he was still young enough where you could see he still had upside to tap into, especially because he hadn't played more than 30 minutes a game per season. Uh, Jordan, I think at this point, you know, he's about to turn 30. He is who he is. Like, I don't think he's going to start bombing threes if he leaves the Clippers this summer. Like, He just doesn't have that type of shooting range. I mean, he's still one of the NBA's best rebounders. Um, I think he's right up there with uh, Andre Drummond of the Pistons in terms of rebounds per game, rebound percentage, um, contested rebounds, all that good stuff. So that is a valuable skill, and that is going to increase his attractiveness on the free agent market. But as you mentioned, defensively, his number of – Block shots has plummeted in recent years, which is, you know, there, Doc Rivers a couple of years ago was like trying to drum him up as a defensive player of the year candidate. And he was never that good, but he was yeah. still, you know, one of the league's better rim protectors. But if that starts to fade, then it's really just, all right, we need to put him on a team where, A, we have a big rebounding deficit, and B, we need a point guard who can feed him the ball, mostly on lobs. Like, we just yeah. need to have Lab City wherever he's going to go because mm-hmm. we can't rely on him. You don't want to rely on a steady diet of DeAndre Jordan post-ups or you're going to have a very inefficient offense. Yeah, and even as you noted in the article, the Clippers are actually better when he's off the floor rather than when he's on uh, by about 3.5 points per possession, which is, you know, uh, not great. Um could be better. Uh, in, in terms of the Clippers overall as well, I mean, they're right now they're still in the playoff race. <clears throat> they're uh, they've had a bunch of injuries and are now right as things stand, sort of a mishmash construction. They're sitting yeah tenth in the West right now, um, two point five games back from eighth, but also three and a half games back from the fifth seed, uh, <clears throat> which is the Pelicans. So still really tight out West. Um, and East too, actually, but uh, after you get past the first couple seeds. By the way, just out of curiosity, where did you have them in the uh, the preseason? Where did you think they were going to end up? Because I had them eighth coming in near the end, and uh, I had so many angry Clippers fans <laughs> in my mentions, and I was like, I know, but you're relying on uh, injury-prone guys as your stars, yeah. and, you know, Chris Paul's gone, and that's, that's a big deal. Uh, he's so efficient and kept everybody, you know, moving and scoring and uh you know Blake Griffin we saw what's happened there um and Gallinari's just been a guy who's been injured you know pretty Mm -hmm. much his whole career so 
Yeah, where where was where were you on them? I I believe I had them seventh. My big miss for the season was Portland. I had them Ooh, ninth, yeah. and obviously that's not going to turn out right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I had the same concerns about the Clippers, especially as you mentioned with Gallinari. It's you. It was just a ticking time bomb at that point. And you know, Chris Paul gets a bad rap because he's never made the conference finals, but like mm-hmm. he's still one of the best point guards in the NBA. Like yeah. replacing him with Teo Dosic was an enormous downgrade, <laughs> and that's no, you know, that's no insult to Teo Dosic, but no, like. No. It's just Chris Paul, as we've seen with Houston this year, he's elite, and it's hard to replace a guy like that. So yeah, I, I was, I, I had them in the playoffs, and it, as it turns out, it wasn't totally wrong because they're if they finish where they you know if they finish in tenth, and they're still in the race with ten games left. It, it was close, but yeah, I was not high on them as a top four team by any means. Yeah, I mean, the whole Chris Paul narrative is a little silly to me. Obviously, it needs to be a team effort to get places. And, you know, the whole, you can't win with your, you know, your star being the smallest guy on the floor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but also there are examples of, you know, teams doing that. So Isaiah Thomas exists, you know. Um, Anyway, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, that that series, the Clippers-Spurs series from a few years ago where Chris Paul hit that, the game winner in Game Seven, like I'll never forget that. That's insane. And anytime anyone says, "Oh, he doesn't perform in the playoffs," I just tell them to go watch that game. Right, um, right. Yeah. So, anyways, and now, yeah, he's doing fantastically with Houston. So, uh, the Clippers, in, when the trade deadline, they were going up to the trade deadline, and mm-hmm. uh, they got rid of Blake earlier than I think a lot of people thought. Um, yep. Especially considering they you know, made a whole ceremony for him. And, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. I feel kind of bad for him about that, but, uh, yeah. Oof. Um, yeah, as you noted in the article, hopefully they don't do that for Deandre or at least he'd be, I think he'd be a little more uh, wary if he did. Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming like, I, I wouldn't surprise me if the Clippers re-signed him just to do what they did with Blake, just like re-sign him yeah. only to trade him later. Just so like they don't lose him for absolutely nothing. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine. Even if they re-sign him on more than like a two-year deal, I can't imagine him playing out that full deal in LA. Like I would, I would assume he would get traded at some point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's tough too when it's such a guy, a guy that relies on his athleticism so much, um, and mm-hmm. you know, going into the uh, other side of thirty, eventually that's going to catch up to you, and uh, that at that point you start to usually become. Um, a bit of a traveler around the league late in your <clears> career. So, yeah, we could see that. Um, so they also, yeah, they were shopping in Jordan. They also were shopping uh, Lou Williams, who <clears> they ended up not moving, and everybody was kind of surprised, just like with DeAndre, and they ended up just re-signing him. Obviously, Lou's come out and said that he just he just wanted to be somewhere after traveling so much the past several <clears> years, <throat> being a journeyman. So yeah, they signed him to a three-year extension. And they kept Jordan as well, even though they tried to move him. So, you know, they're, it's it's a little confusing, I think, for everybody, even especially Clippers fans, because it was, okay, so we, we're going for the playoffs with this, you know, at the beginning of the season, we're going for the playoffs. By the time the deadline comes around, you know, Blake's already gone. A lot of people are thinking, okay, it's time to blow it up. Um, you know, what does Steve Ballmer, what does he think? going forward here um, with this team. 
that's still like you know looking to be pretty expensive. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's a little it's a little wild. I I do you, what do you think? The Clippers are they planning on being a playoff team? Like, is do you think that's their goal now? Now that they've decided to re-sign Lou and kept DeAndre at least for now. I it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I I think I don't think Ballmer wants to do like a full scale rebuild, yeah. and I don't blame him, especially with the lottery odds changing after this season. I think mm-hmm. it's it, it that whole system is going to reduce the incentive for tanking unless you are just so far up the creek that you just have no other choice. Like unless you were basically the 2012, 13 Sixers and you just traded like all of your picks and all of your good players for Andrew Bynum, who is dead. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. So I I don't think uh, the Clippers want to like completely all out tank. I I think the Lou Williams deal, you know, he signed, an extension for less than what the mid-level pre- uh, exception is projected to be this summer. Yeah. We don't know what it's going to be exactly, but probably somewhere in the $8.5 million per year ballpark. Yep. So I think that was just like getting him on a good value. Like if he's willing to sign for that, you know, look at a guy like Evan Turner who signs for four years, 70 million a couple years ago, and you're getting Lou Williams for three years, 24. Like that's just, you know, it, you almost have to do that regardless of what your long-term plans are because even if you decide, all right, we are going to tank, that's a hell of a good contract that is easily flippable. I mean, that's you could flip that for a first-round pick at next year's deadline to a, a contender like, you know, Washington last year traded a first-round pick for Bojan Bogdanovich. Like, Lou Williams would definitely get a first, I would imagine. So I'm guessing that was their rationale there. I mean, I think they're kind of trapped at least next year just because I'm guessing Austin Rivers is going to opt into his player options, $12.65 million. Uh, Gallinari still got two more years on his deal. Tobias Harris will be a free agent after 2018-19. So I think probably next year they're going in and saying we still want to at least try to compete for a playoff spot. And really, we just want to figure out who who's our core moving forward. Like, is it is it does Tobias Harris a guy who we can build around? And how much are we willing to pay him? Are we willing to give him twenty, twenty five, thirty million dollars a year, or do we want to go in a different direction? You know, is Austin Rivers a guy we can build around? Boban, maybe you know, if DeAndre Jordan yeah. leaves, can we start seeing a little bit more Boban? So there. In a sense, they're in a good spot because they really don't have enormous salary commitments after the 2018-19 season. Like they have Gallo for one more year in 2019-20, they have Lou, but outside of that, I mean, their books are pretty clean. So for a team that you know, if they do decide they want to just completely blow it up and rebuild, they're in good shape to do so after next season. Um, I believe they're also going to have two picks most likely in the 10 to 14 range this year. So while you're not getting a guy like Doncic or Aiton, you know, there, there could be some difference makers in that range, especially if a guy like Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, someone like that falls, you got to figure one of those guys or one of those picks they're going to use on a point guard, possibly out or a Colin Sexton. So 
you know, I think the big thing for the Clippers is when they had Blake and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan, they just pissed away so many picks and assets. It didn't really like build around the young core, which I think is the temptation when you have a big three. We've seen it in Miami. We saw it in Cleveland. Now you lean toward these like win now veterans and you don't necessarily develop a young group of talent around them. So when that big three falls apart, you have something to fall back on. Uh, you know, I think the, the Blake trade in that sense was good because now they have guys like, and the Chris Paul trade too. Now they have guys like a Sam Decker and a Montrezl Harrell who is putting up ridiculous numbers on a permanent basis. Um, they have a guy like Tobias Harris, you know, the Avery Bradley didn't work out as expected, but now they have at least some young talent to build around moving forward, even if they decide to go in a different direction from their win now veterans. Yeah, even Montrez Harrell, like you mentioned, every time I end up watching a Clippers game, and I'm on the East Coast, so it's pretty late usually, and I'm like bleary-eyed and staring at my uh, TV in the dark, and I look mm-hmm. up and I see Montrez Harrell up there just, you know, tearing things up, like he has so much <laughs> energy, he's running around, I'm like, oh my god, who is that? It's Montrez, yeah. every single time, Montrez Harrell, and I'm, I'm looking at him being like, huh, I think he's a lot better than a lot of people think he is. Um, yeah. He's been he's been fun to watch, uh, and he gets so into it. He's he's definitely a guy that has a lot of passion, and um, you know he's an exciting player. So I I enjoy him. Um, I I hope they can retain him, or if not, um, you know he goes somewhere where maybe he uh, gets uh, you know to be on an even better team. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, and they they've also got you know Pat Beverly. He's still there. He's on a mm-hmm. dirt cheap deal, like you mentioned in the article, which is like I I'd forgotten how good of a deal that is for the value yeah. you get from him. He's obviously been out all year, but you know he's um, one of the best perimeter defensive players in the game. Um, just a pest defensively, so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, yeah, there's the Rivers, Tiadosic, and Wesley Johnson are all on player options um so we'll have to see them yeah again the market's really tight uh it's it's one of these things where the first thing i start thinking about is you know if deandre jordan does leave uh you know what what do the clippers do to try and fill that spot like that's <clears throat> that's a in the in this market that's going to be that's going to be really tough, and um, I'm not. I'm not really sure where they go from there. Do you, do you have any like? Can you think of any targets they might have? Because I, I honestly am not sure. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, maybe you might go for I, if they if DeAndre leaves and let's say um, Austin Rivers opts in, they have the two draft picks as well. They're really going to be limited to basically the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which again is going to be eight point five million ish. So. You're probably priced out of a guy like Brooke Lopez at that point. Um, maybe you go cheap and try to get Nerlens Noel if he's willing to do that, but it seems like he has an inflated sense of how much he's worth based yeah. on the fact he turned down a four-year, $70 million offer last summer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, again, you've got the two late lottery picks. Maybe you go get a center with one of them. Like Robert Williams from Texas A and M is probably going to be in that range, and maybe, maybe it's time to just unleash the Boban 
keep him <laughs> as your starting center, and then you got Robert Williams as a backup. But otherwise, yeah, I would guess they're probably going to have to spend that mid-level on a center. It's just I, their options are going to be limited unless they can find you know a Brooke Lopez or a Derek Favors maybe. But again, I don't know if 8.5 mil is going to be enough. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm all in for more Boban. Boban is <laughs> the best. I can just watch gifts of him dunking like forever. He, yeah. I think he, I swear, I'm not even sure if he gets an inch off the ground. Like I'm zooming in <laughs> to try and tell if his toes are actually off the ground. It is, it's, it's almost impossible to tell. Um, yeah, I, I love Boban. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> I would, I would not uh, be unhappy if he played more. Um, also the. Uh, circling back for a second, the Blake trade. I just I want to get your thoughts on this because everybody thought, you know, when it happened. So what the Pistons did where they immediately were going, okay, we're all in. As especially Stan Van Gundy saying, mm-hmm. um, look, we're going for the playoffs. You know, also I might be trying to save face a little bit here. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, I want to make myself look a little better, um, which has backfired. Obviously, uh, they haven't done very well and the first uh, four wins they had were all on against teams on back-to-backs right uh, which was yeah not great um so and since then they've been in the free fall and they're not going to make the playoffs uh but yeah on the other side of things you know um Tobias Harris been pretty good um you know it it's I think it turned out to be a lot more and especially when you throw in Blake's contract mm-hmm. um it it really seems to be actually you know a lot more even of a deal than some people might have thought it would be, and even more so like some people might lean Clippers now that they won the they might have won the deal. Yeah, I mean, I honestly I leaned Clippers from the beginning just because I oh, yeah. I, I because of Blake's contract. It's not because mm-hmm. of Blake's talent. I mean, he's a really good player, but is he worth? What he's it's like five years, one hundred and seventy plus million. Uh, yeah, uh, that makes me really nervous, especially given. I mean, not even just given his injury history. With that included, I'm already just terrified. But you know, I I've been on this pedestal for a while, and I'm gonna or on the soapbox, I should say, and I'm gonna keep saying it. But now the contracts have gotten so big, I really just don't think there are that many players. W- who, if you're giving a full max deal, a full 30, 35% max deal to these guys, you're really going to be limited in your team construction moving forward. I don't know that Blake is one of those guys. I think, realistically, there are probably 10 or so players in the league who I'd feel comfortable giving a full 30% max to or a 35% max to at this point, and Blake is not one of them. Like I'm talking like, Kyrie Irving, Dame Lillard, those that's where the cutoff is, I think. So yeah, I mean I wasn't I wasn't wild about the trade for Detroit from the beginning. I thought the Clippers you know, I understand why the Clippers re signed Blake, because again, you just don't want to lose a you know, the a former number one overall pick for nothing. But at the same time, I think getting out of that contract when they did and getting a first-round pick and Tobias Harris. You know, again, Avery Bradley didn't live up to expectations, but uh, getting Boban, who's at least some backup insurance for if DeAndre leaves, like, they did pretty well. I mean, I think 
with that contract, Blake was more, he wasn't a positive asset at that point. Like he was neutral at best and maybe even a negative asset just because again, like, are you really excited to pay Blake Griffin $38.9 million in the 2021-22 season? I don't think so. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, when that, yeah, I, I was never a fan of that deal either. Um, I've I've been on Griffin about the like a lot of people about the injuries he's had so many and some of them were just you know him being silly as well. Um, <laughs> so I, I've never been a fan of that kind of those kind of guys that seem to get themselves injured. Sometimes you know once you do it once it's whatever, but it's been a couple times with Blake. So right. Um, and you know going off of that, DeAndre Jordan if he. If he does, you know, push for or, you know, let's say he does somehow manage to get a monster deal like Blake did, uh, like, you know, he's going to be probably like next to impossible to deal because yeah. like, because now everybody's seen an example of what happens, you know, with the Blake Griffin trade. So, you know, in Detroit's, it's not, it's just, it's not looking great for Detroit. The one thing they had was, well, now we're going to at least, you know, hopefully make the playoffs and that's not going to happen. So <laughs> like woof right and they've already got like their attendance is down and they're going to a new arena and it's eh, it's not looking great so you know the if DeAndre had a similar thing you know the Clippers are going to be in a really really tight spot so uh I I I, I don't think the Clippers want to put themselves there they they know because they just got right. out of one clearly yeah. but uh I mean there's a chance that that's what DeAndre wants and asks for like do you think that he's going to push for something like that? I mean, if he does, and I'm the Clippers, I say, all right, good luck getting it, because we're not giving it to you. Yeah. Because he's eligible for the full 35% max, which if it's if the cap gets set at $101 million, which it's projected to be, that's over $200 million on a yeah. five-year deal. There is no way in hell, <laughs> if I'm the Clippers, I'm offering that deal. Like In the article, I floated like somewhere in the three-year $80 million I think 81 million range. So starting at 25 million and then going up to 27 and 29, um, that would be the 2020, 2021 season. Give him a third year player option. If, if he's, you know, so inclined, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a safe hedge for both parties. You know, Jordan locks in $81 million. If he, if he struggles and his athleticism dips in the next couple seasons and the Clippers have a way out, um, if you know if he plays really well, so I think that's probably fair. I, I think the thing working against Jordan is there are only I mean depending on how the market shakes out, but it's it's looking like there are only going to be a handful of teams that can offer him anywhere close to his max deal. So the Sixers, if you know with some minor finagling, can get there, but the Sixers have Joel Embiid, so they're not. Presumably, they're done with their front court logjam. They're not going to pursue him. The Bulls, I just don't think they're at a point where they see, like, all right, we had DeAndre Jordan. We're going to be a top-four team. Let's go all in. Let's get him. So they'll have the space, but I don't think they offer him a 35% max. Mm-hmm. The Hawks, the Mavericks, they can, you know, they're not they're not there especially if Wes Matthews opts into his player option, which I now expect him to do since he just recently 
went down with another injury. So the Mavs are probably out if if he's demanding a max. The Hawks again. You're so far away from contention. I don't know why you're blowing that much cap space on a long-term deal for DeAndre. So to me, it seems like his best two options are re-sign with the Clippers on less than a max deal or pray to God the Lakers miss out on Paul George, LeBron James, DeMarcus Cousins, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly they're sitting on $60 million with no top-tier guys to spend it on. Yeah, I'm so I agree. I think like if he was leaving, he wouldn't really be leaving because he'd probably be going to the Lakers. Um, right. But yeah, I I do agree. The Lake Lakers aren't uh, that wouldn't be their that's not their number one goal, obviously. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things. The Lakers think they're um, always you know almost immortal with you know we can get whatever free agent we want. We've got Magic Johnson. We can do whatever. Um, right. And even though over the past several years have shown that that's not true, um, you know, like players can get money in different cities now. They can, you know, <laughs> everything is like it's not like they're not being watched anymore in, right. wherever they are. Like you know, this is a different time. Um, this isn't 1980s magic, you know, kind of era. So um, but I do agree that, you know, that's where he could end up if he leaves the Clippers. And I think that would be. Uh, it'd be an interesting fit depending on like, you know, how long his uh, athleticism holds up to like this extent, Um, especially because that's a team that loves to run and they're young um, and they've got some, they've shown some upside this season. Um, They've been interesting to watch like Lonzo. uh, He's been getting a lot of crap this season, especially with the way he started. But I mean, his, his shooting's improving. It's been better the past like couple months. Um, He's, you know, it's and it's going to continue to improve. I think he's got you know NBA shooting coaches now, and he's clearly you know in on um, improving his shot. He's not showing resistance to that, um, and in every other facet, he's been great. Um, you know, uh, we always knew he could pass, and he's a great defender. Um, you know, pushes the ball up the floor really fast, and Brandon Ingram too. Like he's you know if once if he can figure it out and put on some more weight and maybe like eventually get up to like, I don't know, Kevin Durant level weight. Cause he doesn't seem like a guy who's ever right. put on like, you know, a, like a lot of weight, but, um, you know, he's, he's getting stronger and he's so long already. He's like, uh, you know, kind of in that weird, like, yeah, Giannis, uh, Durant level with the length sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you, sometimes you just see him extend and you're like, Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, they've, they've got a lot of upside. Um, yeah, I, I could see them spending, on him, but uh, I do agree that I think the Clippers are probably the most likely scenario, and that they, if DeAndre actually does ask for uh, some kind of monster deal, that they, you know, they kind of just say call his bluff and say, well, okay, good luck, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, and if not, we're here waiting with an actual deal that will make sense. Right, um, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just think every, I think every agent knows what's coming. I think every team knows what's coming. I think the players are probably the last to catch up just because they all see the deal signed in 2016. And I think that was the problem last summer, like for a guy like Nerlens, who's like, well, Joakim Noah signed a four year, $72 million deal. I'm better than Joakim Noah's corpse. So (laughs) I should be getting more than that. And then now maybe they've started to realize after last summer where the cap space already started to dry up and it's, 
worse this year. I mean, I think the fact that Lou Williams signed for less than the mid-level suggests that maybe they're starting to become aware of that. But yeah, I mean, as you said, if, if I'm the Clippers, I'm just like, all right, <laughs> yeah. you, could, you sure, you can find a five-year max deal somewhere. Definitely, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't hate the fit on paper of him with the Lakers. I think that's a really interesting mix of talent, as you said, with Lonzo and with Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, yeah. Josh Hart, assuming, you know, again, if they're missing out on Paul George, LeBron, DeMarcus Cousins, they're probably re-signing Julius Randle, who has been, like, next level the last month or two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, a core of Ball, Ingram, Randle, Jordan, Kuzma, Hart, that's interesting. Like, I, that... That, that is at least in the mix for the playoffs next season. I'm not saying they are a guaranteed playoff team, but you know, with with a full year of seasoning for Ball, we've seen Ingram already take a monster leap this season. I think more are coming. I mean, Kuzma again is a rookie. We'll see him take another step forward this summer. Randall, I think once he has that contract security. That will go a long way toward. Uh, well, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I guess we've seen guys who sign contracts and then just go in the crapper right away. But <laughs> he seems hungry at this point to prove that he's worth investing in long term. And on the Lonzo point, I mean, look, I make fun of him too, and I, I think a lot of it is obviously because of his dad. Like, if not oh, yeah. for his dad, the, the progress he's shown over the year. I really don't think he'd be catching that much crap, but because mm-hmm. his dad is just such a blowhard, it's like, you know, it, he set he's setting Lonzo up to fail basically. Like Lonzo yep. has to be so above what every other rookie is because his dad is just like anointing him as better than Steph Curry, guaranteed to lead them to the, play, the Lakers in the playoffs this year. That he set up like unrealistic expectations for Lonzo, but you know track Lonzo's progress to really any of the other point guards drafted in the top 10 this year. I mean, Markel Fultz hasn't played except four games. De'Aaron Fox and Dennis Smith Jr. are both, you know, they've, they've started, Dennis Smith started the whole year, Fox has been starting lately. They've, they've made progress, but I would argue Lonzo has probably made more progress than either one of them. And then the Knicks are just like <laughs> trying to bury Nilekina right away. They, with Moutier, now Trey Burke as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Lonzo has enormous upside. I think the Lakers are going to be an attractive landing spot for free agents this summer. You, you mentioned, you know, the last couple of years they've gone in and be like, we're the Lakers, you're going to side with us. Mm-hmm. And then LaMarcus Aldridge is like, no, this, <laughs> that was a terrible pitch. Like, talk to me about basketball, not just your market. Yeah. But now they have the pieces to be like, you know, the Lakers' exceptionalism is still there, but they also have the on-court pieces to be like, all right, you get to play with Ball, Ingram, Kuzma, maybe Randall. Like, you know, we have a good young core. That's pretty attractive. Yeah, I like to think of the Lakers pitch in my head is like you go in and it's basically like you're going to see a movie and when you go in you see Pacific Rim and you go in and it's just it's all like big exploding noises or something directed by Michael Bay and you go yeah. in and you're like wow what a spectacle and then you leave and then half an hour later you're like there was nothing to that I I don't they didn't say anything they just they showed me a lot of really cool stuff um, right. and uh 
Yeah, so I, I got to imagine, like, I can see LaMarcus Aldridge just leaving that meeting and then, like, you know, a few hours later, he's in a hotel room or something. He's, like, scratching his head, like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, on the LeVar thing, too, like, man, uh, it's, it's yeah, he's been he's been something. He's been a little quiet recently, thank goodness, but uh, that, that when he came out and said that, you know, Lonzo wouldn't be at the Lakers and however many years if they didn't also sign his other two sons i was like man look at some point this is gonna boil over and just like because like you know like lonzo especially in like a few years like he's gonna be able to make his own decisions um yeah and uh you know if he's the lakers are doing well and he's doing well i mean he might stay there just even if those brothers aren't coming and uh, i'm not even sure both of them are gonna be in the nba so um you know, uh, yeah, the the Lakers are really interesting. It's it's why when people I'll say, you know, oh, look, this the destination for LeBron, um, and I say, yeah, sure, potentially, um, but if he goes, uh, does Lonzo stay? Just and not because of Lonzo, but because of the whole Levar thing. I don't think yeah. I don't think LeBron wants to deal with that at this point in his career. I'm oh, not sure. hell no. And I, and I don't think he wants to share necessarily the spotlight with that either or be fighting with him all the time either or deal with comments. I mean, you know, this is the guy who said he could play MJ one-on-one. So <laughs> Right, yeah. I, on our podcast, we refuse to speak his name. We actually call him Voldemort because we're afraid <laughs> that saying his name gives him more power. So Wow. At, yeah, I, I'll, I'll refer to Voldemort uh, from this point forward. But yeah, I, I don't think LeBron wants any part of that. And I think the best thing for Lonzo's career is for his dad to stay abroad with his two brothers for as long as possible. Because, yeah, like when you don't have TMZ running up to him every three days with him saying some other dumb shit about like, well, Luke Walton's lost the team. And then, you know, the Lakers go on this ridiculous stretch where they, you know, they're they're not going to get to 500, but they're going to come a lot closer than it looked like. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just less of a headache for the Lakers to deal with. So (laughs) they should really just pray those two, the two other brothers, you know, I, I, as you said, I don't think the, uh, the middle one's getting drafted this year to say the least. Mm -hmm. And then, so I guess the younger one still has, I want to say two more years before he becomes eligible for the draft. So hopefully, Voldemort stays out of the limelight for the next two years. I know it's going to crush all. I mean, it's probably going to lead to a lot more basketball writers being fired because you know <laughs> anything with anything with that family does monster page views. So we yeah. we all need that content, I guess. But uh, it, it's made for a much more pleasant Lakers experience the last couple months, not having to deal with that nonsense every day. Yeah, two years for. Uh... The youngest one to change his hairstyle. I mean, so he, every time I look at him, I see 2006. So I yeah. feel like I'm in middle school again. Um, yeah, so, and and again, uh, you know, going off of, in a similar situation to uh, DeAndre, I know um, you mentioned uh, to me before we started the podcast about uh, Isaiah Thomas, and he's in, yep. a, he's in a similar spot, um, although you know, maybe even a worse spot. So obviously, you know, he, he's had uh, the last, Oh God, what, like, you know, 12 months kind of thing has been just a crazy whirlwind, you know, going from being a hero in Boston, um, having the hip injury, playing with the hip injury, regretting it, coming to Cleveland, um, in the Kyrie trade, 
in uh, just a trade that blew up NBA Twitter and uh, has been talked about nonstop since. I mean, details are still coming out about why Kyrie left, and even though he yeah. doesn't want to talk about it anymore, <laughs> um, LeBron doesn't want to talk about it, but we're still talking about it. Um, and, you know, then that didn't work out, and he, he only played, like, you know, what was it, like 12 games or something with Cleveland, and he didn't look very good, obviously, coming back. He had one, one or two good games at the start, and then, uh, you know, he... I mean, the rest of that team was also struggling, but they were getting, you know, dropped like big flies. Um, 130 was being posted on them every single night. And then the trade deadline came and Kobe Altman was like, all right, time to just clean house. And uh, IT got sent to the Lakers. And now he's on the Lakers, uh, at least for the rest of this season. Um, And, you know, he wanted a big max deal. He said that for a while. (laughs) The famous Brinks truck quote. Yep. Um, yeah, he really wants that. And, you know, he's very, very likely not going to get it. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, what, what do you think happens with him from here on out? I mean, yeah, I think you're right that he's probably in a worse situation than Deandre. Cause at least I can see a scenario where the Lakers overspend on Deandre for a year or two to keep, you know, do what they did with KCP and Brooke Lopez. But or not, I guess just KCP this summer, um, just give him like a one-year $35 million deal. What the hell? Why not? Uh, yeah, Isaiah, it's, I mean, he has been playing somewhat better, I mean, at least compared to his Cleveland tenure with the Lakers, and he just recently this week came out, I think he, he spoke with, I want to say Sam Amick of USA Today, but apologies if that wasn't the reporter, but... He said, you know, I'm willing to stay with the Lakers, like, if it's if it's right or something like that. And, you know, he said <laughs> he's allegedly willing to continue coming off the bench, even though that's probably not true. I mean, he, he very much thinks of himself as the 2016-17 version of what he was, which was a close to a 30-point-per-game scorer, an all-star, you know, the star of his team, the star of a team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um I think the thing, again, working against him is that the market is going to be really limited this summer. So, again, going back to the teams with cap space, we'll leave the Lakers at the top for now. The Bulls have Chris Dunn. The Sixers have Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz. The Hawks don't especially seem sold on Dennis Schroeder, but at this point, again, it's like you're so far removed from playoff contention. Are you going to trade Dennis Schroeder and sign Isaiah Thomas? Probably not. The Mavericks have Dennis Smith Jr. The Kings have De'Aaron Fox. The Nets have a bunch of guys, including D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie. So now you're probably looking at the Magic as the first team in in that range that actually has cap space potentially and an enormous needed point guard after trading Alfred Payton. But if the Magic uh, re-sign Aaron Gordon... There goes all their cap space. So now you move down to the Suns. I'm guessing Isaiah Thomas is not going back to the Suns, especially if the Suns resign uh, Alfred Payton as a restricted free agent. The Utah Jazz have Ricky Rubio. Uh, they, you presumably will reach try to resign Dante Exum. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's just it's it's like DeAndre basically. It's like. Your best case scenario, if you are Isaiah Thomas, is you play really well in these last 10 or 12 games to the Lakers. You pray like hell that Paul George re-signs an OKC for a year and that LeBron 
stays in Cleveland or goes to Houston or goes to Philly. Um, pray DeMarcus Cousins resigns with the Pelicans. And then again, you got the Lakers with $60 million in cash space holding the bag with no one to spend it on. And, you know, if you're the Lakers, you almost have to get someone in because you traded D'Angelo Russell to carve out cap space, to get off the Mozgov deal with this in mind. And you traded Nance just to get out of Clarkson's deal with this summer in mind. So you can't come out completely empty-handed from free agency. The optics would just be too bad, I think. So, you know, maybe... Again, if you don't know what's going to happen with Randall or Jordan, but yeah, Isaiah Thomas's best hope to get—he's not getting a max deal. He's not getting anywhere close to a max deal. But his best hope of getting something above the mid-level exception is maybe the Lakers, if they strike out everywhere else, are just like whatever, one year, twenty million. Here you go. Yeah, I'm a little worried that uh, it seems to be trending in the direction of like. Isaiah Thomas having Derek Roseitis is what I'll call it, where uh, yeah. you know he still thinks he's one version of himself, or at least that he can get to that level again, and uh, he just can't. And um, I'm a little concerned. Obviously, it's still like pretty early after a significant injury for him, but uh, you know, there's a chance that he never gets back to that point. I mean, yeah, he was like a thirty point per game scorer, and that's that's a really high level. That's you know, and, and tough to get back to. And he was on a Celtics team that was built, you know, to be able to handle his defensive deficiencies and um, needed him to be that focal point. And, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of teams now that are going to bring him in saying, okay, we need you to be this. We are banking on you to be this. And we're going to build around you to make sure that, you know, all of your uh, qualities that are lacking, we can make up for. um, And, you know, we just need you to score and um, stuff like that. And, you know. It's unlikely. I mean, if he is able to become like a six-man type player, uh, that could be a future. Um, right. But uh, yeah, it's it's a little sad. I feel bad for him um, with all the stuff he's been through. But uh, yeah, I I, don't, I honestly have no idea what's going to happen with him. I think what you said is most likely. But uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> every every time I look at him, I just start getting sad. So I stop thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it really. I mean, it sucks because like. Even if he came became a free agent last summer, yeah, he was coming off the hip injury, but he was he would get paid significantly, I would think. Yeah. Just based on what he did with the Celtics. But because now we have this year of data where we've seen him post hip injury, mm-hmm. yeah, I think teams are gonna be reluctant to commit to him long term unless he's willing to sign for a major discount. And you know, even before the hip injury, he was one of the worst defenders in the NBA. Yeah. And, and that hasn't gone away. I mean, he's been nope. the hip injury has obviously affected his lateral mobility. So now he is even worse. So you know, it's already hard. You know, I know you, you said earlier you can't necessarily rule out building around a you know a really short guy, but like there are limitations having yeah. a five nine starting point guard. Yeah. Like you just aren't going to have the wingspan to body up to some of the bigger guards in this league. Um, so you have to build a roster around Isaiah's defensive limitations, which I don't think any team is really willing or able to do at this point. I don't think he, his talent necessitates tailoring an entire roster around him. 
so yeah, it's just it sucks. I, I I'm with you. I feel really bad for the guy. I'm not like celebrating the fact that he just totally missed out. Like I wish, frankly, I wish every NBA free, every NBA player became a free agent in the summer of 2016, so they all could have cashed in. Because mm-hmm. it sucks that like this one free agent class got so wildly overpaid, and now all of these other guys are suffering as a result. Yeah, the only thing I'm happy about with it is that it probably will give the Raptors a pretty good chance of keeping Fred Van Vliet. Hell yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, as as uh, people start to become aware about him. But that's just uh, just me being a homer. Um, and so one of the other things I like to do with this podcast is, at the end, I always like to talk about um, writing, like at writing as writing and writing style and stuff like that. Um, uh, because I like to get different... Uh, people's takes on how they go about doing it, why they're doing it, this sort of thing. So um, this piece in particular is um, more of like an informative, instructive type piece. So a lot of, you know, uh, information that's uh, given out, you know, to someone who might not understand, especially the uh, stuff related to the off season and the cap and um, the, the contracts and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, super informative. So like, is this the kind of thing, like, do you like to write instructive pieces? Uh, is this like your favorite, um, go-to type of piece or yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, again, I'm really into this whole team building stuff and I know a lot of the nuances of the collective bargaining agreement and all these cap exceptions and all that good stuff. It goes over a lot of people's heads. So I feel like, Mm -hmm. yeah, when, when I'm writing something like this, I want to include. I don't want to go so into the nitty gritty that like only five people who care about this stuff as much as I do, they're the only ones who understand what I'm writing. Like I want to make it accessible to a casual NBA fan. Right. But at the same time, you do have to, you know, highlight like, well, then there are these cap holds, and then you know you have to factor in the two free agent or two draft picks and blah blah blah. So yeah, I think in general, this is probably my wheelhouse. Um, especially when it comes to cap stuff. I mean, you know, there are so many good NBA writers out there, which is a testament to <laughs> a testament to the market in both good and bad ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good in the sense that like any publication looking for good NBA analysis, you don't have to look very far. Bad in the sense that, you know, obviously there have been a lot of layoffs across the industry. Um, over yeah. the past year, I mean, even this past week, one one site nixed a, a large majority of their writing staff. So, um, it, you know, it's it's a it's a weird industry to be in right now. Um, and you know, as as you were saying, like you you ask why do you, why do you people or like why what was my motivation behind writing this stuff and you know, I would say a couple years ago, I was much more active in terms of writing every day than I am now. I do mostly, at this point, um, fantasy basketball analysis for fan-sided, because that stuff still, I just find it really interesting. And uh, it helps me kind of keep up on the league and keep up on guys, as you mentioned, like Fred Van Vliet or Jakob Bertel, who's been a sneaky good fantasy player this year. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, in, in general, I mean, I like doing these kind of pieces. I, I'm going to continue doing it to some capacity. I'm not sure where yet, just because the 
the market continues to change. But yeah, I'll, I'll still keep pumping out some off-season preview stuff over the next couple months. Because um, yeah, I, this is frankly it's like my favorite time of year. Because you know I'm a Sixers guy, so we haven't had much to look forward to in April for the past couple of years. And once like frankly, once November came around, it was time to start focusing on the next summer. But especially after the All-Star break, it was like all right. Let's start getting geared up on the draft prospects and all these free agent prospects, and let's figure out like who can we get in you know on a short term deal to preserve cap space. So yeah, I'm really interested to see this summer, and then frankly, like the next two years are going to be great too because all of the bad contracts in 2016 are going to start coming off the books. Um, the three year deals come off at 2019, and then the rest of them are gone in 2020. So we should start to see a little bit more financial flexibility theoretically uh, in the coming years, which should make for uh, some very busy Julys for all of us. Yeah. I, and I, what you said about uh, all the writers, um, there's so much good content and so many good writers uh, in this sphere. Um, like all the writers that, uh, recently just, you know, the website that nicks them, um, they're all going to eventually, you know, find places to write again and, uh, hopefully get paid for it and, uh, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But, um, it's, it's one of my favorite parts about the internet, which I, every day I, you know, complain about, but also love, um, you know, there's, there's, once you suss through the, um, stuff that's not as good out there, there's a lot of really fantastic content. Um, mm-hmm. by people that, you know, might deserve to actually be getting, you know, some people that deserve to be getting paid, period, um, that right. aren't getting paid, and then other people that deserve to be getting paid a lot more than what they are. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is getting to talk to people that uh, are writing pieces that I find really interesting and, you know, and informative or creative or whatever um, and the different aspects of the way people do it because there's <clears throat> so much good content and written and it's all written in different ways. Um, so even, uh, like, where did you start? Like when you, like your style seems to be pretty, uh, um, formal, I suppose. It might just be the type of piece you're writing here, but like, is that your type of style typically, or do you ever go off a little bit and, you know, throw in more (laughs) adjectives or something and get wild and crazy one night? You know, if you're drunk or something, you're like, I'm going to throw in like all these adverbs and no one can stop me. Yeah, uh, I think probably when I was younger, I was more in that vein. I think, sure. uh, honestly, so I've been an editor for Bleacher Report for the last four plus years. Um, and in a weird way, that's helped me, you know, after a while you start editing so many pieces and you realize like things that really annoy you as an editor. And then mm-hmm. when I start to write something on my own, I'm like, oh, God, I do that too. I need to stop doing that. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I would have a lot more like passive constructions that I would realize after the fact and be like, oh, that's terrible. Like if I I now look at stuff like if I was editing my own work and, you know, it didn't have my name on it, what would I do to this piece to make it, you know, ready to go, basically? So Mm -hmm. I think that experience has been helpful. Um, A a piece about like the cap is, you know, it it doesn't lend itself to much flowery language. So when I'm doing 
breakdowns more about like a player's future, like a, a team, uh, what's gone right or wrong for them. I'll, I'll probably go a little more informal and throw in a couple jokes here or there. Same with my fantasy analysis. I think it's probably a little less uh, informal there. But yeah, I think a lot of that probably just dates back to you know my my time as an editor with Bleacher Report and just figuring out like you know there, there are a lot of things as you said there there are a lot of really good writers out there. Um, frankly, there are too many good writers for the number of outlets willing to pay. And if like if I win the lottery one day, I will spend an enormous amount of money just to scoop them all up and pay them what they deserve. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways to really stand out in this industry, at least coming from the editing side is, you know, when you submit something, if it's a headache to edit, the editor after a while is not going to want to deal with you anymore. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, one of my big focuses when I'm writing is polishing something off. So like when I submit it to an editor, it should be a very light lift for them. Yeah. It's always been, uh, it's always been one of the most interesting things for me because um, in, when I write, I self-edit as I go along. Um, mm-hmm. I don't just write and then edit afterwards or anything. Even when I was in university, I, I'm terrible. I keep revealing all these things about me from university but on these podcasts. But uh, when I was in university, like I didn't edit like any of my papers ever. I just <laughs> I wrote them and I sent them and that was it and then it was done. And I, I, never, I very rarely had any uh, comments or issues about grammar or spelling or whatever. Um, because I so meticulously self-edit because that's just the way that I am. Um, but I sometimes I forget that that's not how other people are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you'll get notes from editors back from you if you're writing a piece and they'll be like, oh, like, appreciate the fact that, you know, you went through this and edited this. And then I'm, in my head, I'm like, oh, I didn't really. But um, yeah. I guess I was doing it as I went along. But, yeah, a lot. It's it's uh, that's one of those things that... Uh, you know, some writers do it, some writers don't, some just like they barf it out on the page and they're like, okay, got it out and maybe I'll edit it later. Maybe I'll forget about it. You know, that kind of stuff. I I like to know, it's interesting to me how people go about it. I'm personally kind of surgeon like with it. And uh, I I usually, uh, and I've been an editor before for some different places. And I think a lot of editors are in that mindset because, you know, that's, that's what they do when they're not writing. Um, Right. So, um, yeah, I always find that interesting. Um, so, uh, my last question is always my, one of my favorites. Do you have any particular writing quirks that when you're writing you, that are like, uh, just a little off the beaten path or something like I, mine is my main one. Is, it's not exciting, but my main one is that I always need a glass of water beside me. Otherwise I can't, <laughs> I, I like can't do it. I don't even drink it really. I just, I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Or, uh, Windows, windows help too. I stare at a window a lot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I'd say probably the two things that are most conducive, I, I think, you know, just it's hard to focus these days and like sit down and just like pound something out in a couple hours. So mm-hmm. I think the two things that help me do that the most are one, I feel like, uh, at least in my mind, my my best stuff kind of comes late at night, like at 12, 1 a.m., because then whatever, like my brain just kind of halfway shuts off or like my filter shuts off, I guess. So I can just like type everything out stream of consciousness and I can go back the next day and be like, oh, OK, this this part sucked. We don't need that or, you know, beef something up. Um, 
also just closing tweet deck. Like I love Twitter and I'm on it way too much, but it's when, when it's open, it could be such a distraction. And sometimes, you know, you'll write two sentences and then my brain will just be like, oh, I should check Twitter to see if anything else happened in the last three minutes. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting, getting off of Twitter whenever I'm trying to actually like buckle down and write something has been, been huge for me. Yeah, or uh, that's I, I heard this a while ago. I can't remember where, but it's really true that in our current like modern day and age, uh, a writer's workplace is also their play place. Yeah, and it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot more difficult than it used to be when you know you just take out a pen and paper and sit down and write. You know, um, I'm sure that wasn't as uh, typical with you know sports uh, necessarily, but uh, you know. For a lot of people, it used to be they used to do that a lot more, and almost everybody now is online. So, yeah, it can be a distraction. Um, I do that too. I close everything except for uh, that. I'll have like fifty tabs open for right. like, the stats <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, always. Yeah, those are the, those are the best when they show you those little graphics where it's like the satisfaction graphics where they have like they show you all the tabs open. There's like fifty, <laughs> and then the next graphic is just them closing them one by one. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God. It's yeah. That's honestly one of my favorite parts about writing an article is having thirty tabs turned into four. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, awesome. So I think that's about uh, all the time we have today. So I wanted to thank you again, Brian, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think what you're doing is awesome, and keep keep shining a spotlight on writers because uh, <laughs> we we all need it in this marketplace. Yeah, definitely. Uh, writers are my favorite kind of people. I love talking to them. Um, and a lot of them, uh, you know, don't always uh, get to have a voice on something like a podcast. And, haven't, uh, you know, I, I like to find people who don't get to, to talk that much and maybe are uh, interested in, you know, trying to put themselves out there that way. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. Um, so you'll be able to find the uh, Writers Write podcast, this podcast, on bumpers.fm or the Bumpers app if you have that. You can also follow the pod on Twitter at WritersWritePod, where links to the episodes will be posted, as well as the links to my um, guest articles that we talked about. And until then, you can follow me at Havolution on Twitter and find my own online work at Raptors Republic, B-Ball Breakdown, and Scene Creek. Is there anything else you want to plug, Brian, before we go? Uh, the NBA pod, which I host with uh, Morton Jensen, who is in Denmark, is going to be looking for a new home in a couple weeks. So if anyone is looking to host a podcast, reach out to one of us on Twitter. I'm at B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K or just at the NBA pod. Our DMs are open. But other than that, Josh, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And we, we'll have you on sometime uh, to talk some Raptors, especially, with, you know, the stars are aligning, man. This, this is your year. There's a chance. There's a chance. If we win game one, we're winning everything. Yeah. Right, game one, yeah. the first round. That's it. That's the whole thing. I'm basing everything off of that. I'm going to go straight <laughs> homer. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast and uh, enjoy your day. Mm-hmm.